0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff: Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired as a detective sergeant out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. We sort of have a real treat for you tonight. But before I uh, introduce the treat, I'm going to introduce from straight out of Brooklyn, uh, retired second-grade detective Phil Grimaldi. How you doing tonight, Phil? Pretty good, Billy. A uh, little worn out with all the shows we did. Oh, my God. You know, oh, by the way, uh, for all you folks out there, tonight is Phil's birthday. So wow. uh, that's uh, that's how devoted he is. Uh, he's coming on here on his birthday. And uh, we've been working real hard doing the- uh, Two shows the, on my birthday. Tell yeah, the, that's right. Two shows. And uh, so we've been working really hard. Uh, tonight with us, uh, we have a guest, actually another retired NYPD detective. There's his book. He looks really uh, tough in this book. His name is Mordecai Dezhansky. He's a Brooklyn-born and bred yeshiva boy who went on to become an NYPD detective assigned as the lead investigator on the Torah Task Force. Ultimately, he was uh, posted as the NYPD liaison to the Israeli National Police. Detective Dezhansky is an expert on global security and is called upon by community organizations to provide firsthand analysis on preventing in responding to terrorism. His main focus was intelligence gathering and the immediate relay of key information back to New York City to enhance the department's ability to recognize, react, and to prevent or recover from terrorist attacks. He was also involved in providing information gathered in the Middle East concerning terrorism financing to his NYPD counterparts. He responded in person to and al- analyzed 30 bombing scenes in Israel and several attacks globally, including events in Turkey, Russia, Spain, and Egypt. Detective Dozanski worked with senior members of the Israeli intelligence community on investigations with Connect, New York City, and the State of Israel. Without any further ado, Mordecai Dazanski, welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Great to have you here.
1: Thank you for the wonderful... image sounds like I wrote that myself.
0: That was quite I think... an introduction, I'll tell you. God bless <laughs> you. Ugh. I think you you might have written that. You know, one of the things is people don't realize you're in Israel, and in Israel it's four o'clock in the morning right
1: now, right? Well, you know what? Somewhere there's a bar closing, and it's four a.m. <laughs> they're saying last call. So, uh, yeah, in Israel it's two in the morning. Last call.
0: So, oh, so we, we, we want to thank you for getting up so early or not going to bed, period, to be on the show. So, you know, Mordecai, I know it's, it's so interesting to people. And we, when after 9-11, we couldn't even believe it ourselves that this was happening. But the NYPD sent detectives all over the world for the purpose of collecting intelligence for the hotbeds in the world and to report back to the NYPD so the next terrorist attack could be prevented in New York City. You want to speak upon that?
1: Well, this was the branch Harold of Commissioner Kelly. Uh, He did not want us to rely on the NYPD, excuse me, on Big Brother because Big Brother could then decide what information they would provide us. So I said, you know what? We're going to do this cop to cop and we're going to get information firsthand." Now Toronto was the first spot and that worked out very well. That was during 2002, but I was chosen the first person to go what I consider to be really overseas to go to Israel. And people remember, 2003 was the height of the Second Tafada. So there was terrorism acts on a daily basis, uh, specifically suicide bombings. Now, the good information gathering for us in Israel was was a very similar urban environment. You know, if we have gone to Iraq, we have gone to Afghanistan. It's a military zone. So the things they were implementing in Israel or here in Israel now are not similar that we could eventually do in new york city so you know i i'd like to think i was the initial poster child uh showed his true value and then we're probably like 15 different countries as as we speak
0: you know mordecai before we even get to your terrorism duties how did a nice jewish
1: boy from brooklyn become a cop okay uh like any good new york city story starts on the projects uh i grew up in Bayview houses to Canarsie. Now, the irony is I tell a housing cop that I'm from Bayview, he goes, no, you are on Fifth Avenue compared to what a real project is. So he says, cut it out, Bayview is fine. Uh, I wasn't a conformist. You know, I did traditional school, my father's a rabbi, my grandfather was a rabbi, uh, but So you, re- you
0: really do have a rabbi a, oh no no a, a, rab- a rabbi in the nypd is known as a hook but you got two rabbis in your family oh my god Well, mine turned
1: out to be irish but that's a separate issue but uh <laughs> so I, you know i went along the traditional schooling uh then i saw a flyer that was specifically advertising for by the Sharman society one of our fraternal organizations in the nypd specifically looking for modern orthodox cops you know, and they could take the test and see how it goes. So I was the third one to take the test. I was only 19. I got called on at twenty. And as we say, the rest was history. You know, it it was literally was a perfect fit. And
0: there you are, a nice Jewish boy in your NYPD oh, uniform yeah. with uh with your yarmulke on. We know uh I mean that's that's not a picture that you see very often on the NYPD, a Jewish boy with, with a a Jewish man with a yarmulke in uniform, right?
1: Well, I I like to say that this is the funny part. Uh, I started out after I came on in January 1983. I was 20 years old. From there, I went to NSU 12, which was a 7-1 precinct. I was following somebody else's footsteps there, uh, Harvey Hecker. So he had his yarmulke on. I had my yarmulke on. So it wasn't that sort of uh, unusual fit. You know, the only thing different was a doily on top of my head. But uh all of a sudden now after NSU, after the first six months, you get assigned a permanent precinct. Now the job said, okay, we have somebody in the 7-1. Why don't we put the next guy in the six-six? Now I didn't understand the hierarchy of the job is that if they offer you a contract and you say no, you might be in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> so as it ended up I, I actually said no to the six six. I said I like to go to. Yeah, you know,
0: Morty. Morty, just let me stop you there for one second. That's an Italian thing, because <laughs> yeah. it, it is. Because if you're offered something and you turn it down, they'll never ask you for another favor ever again. Right out of Don Colione's mouth. <laughs> Phil, is that not true? You're making a good point, Billy. You're making a good
2: point. But yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I was in NSU twelve in 1982 to '83. And you, you got there probably what, 83, you said? 83, yeah. 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 And that, that I, just to expand a little bit on what you said, uh, that's a part of Brooklyn called Crown Heights where there was a large uh, Jewish community and Borough Park where he mentioned the 6-6 priest and Borough Park is the other, uh, it's a large uh, population of uh, Jewish people in that area. So uh, yeah. And when somebody offers it's like the old saying, don't look a gift to us in the mouth. You
1: take it. Well, they, they were, they were funny enough. When I say funny, they, uh, said, well, where would you like to go? So, you know, I said, well, the Midtown Manhattan precincts Midtown North, Midtown South. Uh, this, I didn't want to go to the 17th, too many fixes. So I wanted to go someplace handpicked. And again, I had the audacity as a first generation to sort of ask for this. So I always tell the story. It's a great story. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers Cornelius Deva, who was my NSU lieutenant. Speaking I'm, I'm standing on the corner of Nostranding Church in NSU,
0: Hey, uh, Morty! Someone in the chat, Mark Meckler. Hey, Morty. Oh, he's you, my boy.
1: Eighty-three twenty-four. Yeah, we, we were in the academy together. I love Mark. Uh,
0: just so, you I just wanted to let you know that there's someone here that knows you.
1: <laughs> so, oh, so now everything's got to be on the up and up because he knows my whole history. Uh, so, Lieutenant Dever pulls up to me, and he's driving himself, and he has a sheet of your permanent assignments. And is it okay if I curse? Yes. So, yes. Yeah, and he goes, and he goes, Morty. Who did you fuck lately? And I go, excuse me, Lou, what do you mean? And he, called, he didn't call me Morty, he called me Munch. That was his affectionate term, that he really liked me. So I go, Lou, I don't know. We went out to Bay Ridge last night after the 4 to 12. Nurses night, Peggy O'Neill's, anything is possible. I don't. I can't <laughs> tell you 100% what happened. So he goes to me. I ask him, why are you asking that? He goes, well, you know where you're going, your permanent assignment, which could be for your entire career. He goes, you're going to the 7-9. I go, 7-9, where is that? He goes, you know, this side of Eastern Parkway, it's the other side of Eastern Parkway. I said, there's a world on the other side of Eastern Parkway. So as the expression goes, you do or die in Bed-Stuy. Went right to Midnights. That's right. You you end up in the 7-9 doing Midnights, which was the best career move for me ever. I mean, it worked out fast. You learned the job really quick in the 7-9. Doing midnights, it's all for one and one for all. I mean, I mean, it was the, the camaraderie, the brotherhood, uh, the love of the job. You know, a you really- know,
0: peop People that aren't on the police department don't understand. But the seven nine was like a war zone back then. And when they say the camaraderie, the the, the busiest houses had the greatest camaraderie because cops had to back each other up, or else they really could lose their lives. So that's. I just want to explain that to the audience, so they know that.
1: And, and the funnier part, though, and this is where it became a little comical. You know, it had seven nine, That's where Jay Z's from, the Projects, and all of that. So I'd be working three in the morning, obviously not wearing my hat, in uniform with a yarmulke on, and I'd be knocking on somebody's door, doing a canvas or an ADA case or whatever might have been, and you know, preferably would go, "Who?" I'd go, it's the police. And the shock on the the people's – when they open the door, here's a guy with a yarmulke in uniform. They go, the rent's not due today. What are you doing here? It was like – it was unimaginable, the well, all
0: all the stereotypes. How about nice Jewish boy with a warehouse and a truck, Exactly, <laughs> <right?
1: laughs>
2: Morty, so, I got to tell you, you took me back just now when you said, who? Because <laughs> – that if you worked in a project and you knocked on a the door, they never said, you know, who's there? who? That's all they said And th- your response was always the police. Oh my God, that took me back, boy.
1: Yeah, so so that was my great experience. It, it really uh, it, it really was a uh, a blessing back then uh, you know just where I started. And then I just kept moving around. Uh, I went through DEA narcotics, you know, from seven nine, I said, I decided I'd rather write than fight. And I went to MTA, Manhattan traffic area. So I finally got to Midtown, which wasn't you know, uh, exactly the way I wanted to get there, but I was in uniform in Midtown. And then I got pulled out of MTA uh, by the DEA task force, the joint city federal and state task force. Uh, they had a gang of drug dealers who have to be an Israeli. Could you imagine Israelis, you know, dealing cocaine? Oh my and God. The, the the, the I got of...
0: just the boy for you that can solve this case. <laughs> <laughs> I got on that escalator. I got on that
1: escalator and I got off as a first grader. You know, so I uh I, I rode that horse as long as I could through narcotics and a whole bunch of other different steps. Uh then after I went through, went through narcotics, I got my shield. I was getting my shield. I was an investigator. I did another oops in the job. And instead of going right to Midtown to squatter to rip, I had to do my time in the uh, infamous 7 rip, which wasn't wow. exactly a robbery squad. So I always ended up back in Booker North, did a year, humbleized realized, you know.
0: You know, there it was, was more. Great. you. Were, you were like a salmon. You kept going back to where you were born, you know. <laughs> swimming back upstream you know folks in the chat yes it is phil grimaldi's birthday everyone in the chat give phil a happy birthday he's doing two shows today it's unbelievable they're still stirring the sauce in his house there's a big there's a big vat of of, of, of gravy or sauce and he, he he got away from uh having to stir it himself today but everybody wish phil a happy birthday today Thank you. Please stop the
2: love. I got to tell you. It, it, all kidding aside, we did have veal Parmesan, and we had a nice picture macaroni. Oh, they, oh. Made me, they made me two. They made me two. Actually, two pies. So oh. I'm very thankful. I got a great family, and uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much,
0: police off the cuff family. Thank you for saying uh, happy birthday. Oh, here uh, they go. Phil Grimaldi, look at it, it's all coming out in the chat. But let's get back to to Morty because he's gonna feel alone and like we're neglecting him, right? <laughs> Uh, so, so, so Morty, at at some point, you wind up in a detective squad, and not only just a detective squad, you wind up in Midtown North, which is the land of milk and honey and diamonds and everything else, theater districts, every contract in the time. Dipped party. in, Dip your, in ball, your balls were dipped in butter, as they say, you know.
1: And, I, uh, I would have paid every single day to go to work. It was the most – from 88 to 99, I didn't work. I was in this big fraternity that got to carry guns, lock up bad people, <laughs> help good people. It was the dream. And I started out on the rip. And, and there, there was a funny story – it was a funny story. Uh, back in the day, I guess this was uh, February 1990 when Rabbi Kahana was whacked. He was whacked in the 17th. Uh, and that was the beginning of 9 11. You know, they've traced you know, ser to the group of Al Qaeda that ultimately was responsible for 9 11. And uh, I'm dressed. It's Monday night. I have one concern. I already have a couple of collars for the month, so I'm okay. And my concern at this stage was uh, where are we going to watch Monday Night Football? You know, because we're going to take a meal break and we're going to have that hour. And as it ends up, we. Uh, hear shots fired over the radio, and it turns out it was Rabbi Kahana getting murdered, a terrorist murder by no sir in uh, the Hotel Oldville on Wexton Avenue. And at that point, I'm dressed in a hoodie. You know, it's anti-crime on steroids, and I show up there. And, uh, you know, I realized then you have to bring a suit with you wherever you go because the chief of detectives was there, all the brass were there and uh that was my entree to both uh terrorism you
0: know know, morty just to to bring us back to reality for a second i was a boss and when people would show up to a serious crime scene dressed like a landscaper i would get (laughs) i would get pissed i would get seriously pissed because guess who the chief was going to yell at not the detective he was going to yell at the sergeant why is
1: that moron not wearing a suit and so forget about that How about having an earring and long hair and a little bit of a goatee? You know, because, you know, I'm in Midtown North Rip. I have to look the part, whatever the part might have been. Hey, hey, Morty,
0: let me tell you something. I worked in the North, and you guys had much better suits than us. I don't know. You guys had a contract at Uncle Uncle Morty's suit store or something? No, I looked looked
1: like -Ginsburg Ginsburg suits.
0: Am I was my boy. horrible <laughs> And you guys had cufflinks and
1: all that other stuff that never occurred to me. you know I- once, once I left the rip, then I became a member of society, and everything matched, everything was dry cleaned, the tie, everything. you know I, I, I was coiffed, as we said, because I had partners who were coiffed. And one of you could not, you know, be uncoiffed. That, that
0: sounds like yeah. a Hebrew word, coiffed.
1: Is that a, is that a Hebrew word, coiffed? <laughs> I have no that's idea. A that's, a, that's, that's
0: a Brooklyn, a Brooklyn word or a Hebrew. That's I don't know. Word. Maybe <laughs> maybe With both. Can
1: I see slang,
0: Bill. Can I slang.
1: <laughs> so uh, that was one of my lessons. But that was my entree within the Bureau of basically myself and the sergeant in the 17th, who was actually lieutenant by then, was Eddie Norris. And we both knew. Based on Kahana, he had a history here in JDL and all these other things in New York City. But this had nothing to do with that. This was a Middle Eastern job. This was a professional terrorist attack, assassination. What what year Office was that? What year was that? Nineteen ninety. Wow, that was a, that out. was a that was an early terrorist attack. And not only that, but Sarah the shooter, he had an apartment in Jersey City. In his apartment, they found. Information regarding the 93 World Trade Center bombing, they're already talking about it. there's a treasure trove. Hey, hey treasure. uh,
0: Pete, Pete Panuccio just said, Oi, my man Morty. <laughs> I, <laughs>
1: he, when I, I just saw Pete a couple of weeks ago having Jarvis dinner, if believe it or not, me, me and my boy Pete, uh, uh that's great.
0: There's a lot of reunions going on in this show lately, you know. We've been, and you know, Morty, we've been Phil and I have been working really hard, we've been doing like I don't know, six, seven shows a week. I think last week we did nine shows. And, um, you know, it's good to have some laughs and maybe take the tension down a little bit, the pressure down a little bit of having another cop on that we can have some laughs with, you know. And, folks, if you're not subscribed, if you're in the chat and you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please do so. Hit the subscribe button, ring the bell, give us a thumbs up. Uh, we got Mordecai Dezhensky here tonight. It's tough for me to even, I never went to Hebrew school to say that that name, but, uh, you know, Morty, I'm married to a Jewish girl, so I know some Hebrew oh, words. Oh, boy. You know? my, oh.
1: <laughs> my sympathy is with you as we speak.
0: <laughs> so, Morty, what, what, the reason I brought you on the show here is not to hear you're reminiscing of Midtown North. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you ate well. You uh, You had all the contracts. You drank for free. But we want to hear about your career you forgot, you forgot as
1: a diamond diamond oh, you, oh, you, real-
0: you want you want to stop at the garment district before we get back no, to? We
1: had we have Forty Seventh Street, so if I you needed a nice engagement ring, I could hook you up. You know, that, that wasn't
0: a <laughs> problem. No, that 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 was that was thirty two years or thirty three years ago. I needed an engagement ring and I got it on Canal Street. So thanks, Morty, for the <laughs> offer. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, Bill's on fire tonight, I got to tell you. Uh, that's right. So, Morty, fire. Morty, we're going to take you now uh, to your career. Uh, here's, here's three of your books, uh, Terrorist Cop, Countering Terrorism, Terrorist Suicide Bombings. And now, Morty, you're an expert, not because you grew up as a anti-terrorism cop, but this job, the NYPD trained you how to be a counter-terrorism cop. Let's get to that, and let's get to... Well, a lot of the good stuff about being a counterterrorism officer.
1: Well, l- listen, realistically, uh, on uh, September 10th, 2001, I was detective in South Homicide. I think we had probably around 20 murders. You know, you remember the oak Tech where we'd have, you know, who the perp is, how many... The the methodology, the victim, and all that. Hey, Morty,
0: the South, you guys had ketchup on your suits. In the the North, we had real blood and real DNA all over us. Because while you had 20 murders, we had 200.
1: (laughs) So I I, I was at work September 10th, uh, which was a Monday. Uh, I was RDO, a regular day off on September 11th. And that changed all our lives. Uh, Our job, New York City, the fire department, uh, my wife was working right across the street at the Well Financial Center. She saw the first plane going. Now, my oldest at that point was my only child. The youngest, he was two years old. And I saw the whole thing go down. I was living in Long Beach, Long Island. And the only thought I had in my life was this poor kid is going to be raised only by me as the buildings were collapsing. Because so I figured my wife for sure never made it out. Uh, got down there, too. She, thank God she made it out got down there a few hours later. We all felt shock. We all felt horror. We all felt, but there was also a punch in the stomach that, you know, I, I was already had 18 years on the job that there was something we could do whatever emergency happened. Here was a situation where I basically felt completely helpless because it was out of our domain. I never signed up to get involved with terrorism. I never wanted to get involved. It was somebody else's job whether it's the bureau the cia uh the military uh overseas whatever but i think it changed for all of us and uh you know I, i'm still in shock about the, when i say shock i i try my best not to think about it I, you know it just it, it sends chills through me and all that but that's when i you know sort of got on the road and i got blessed because uh, i got picked by commissioner kelly to go overseas and it was a Morty, Dad, you and, had
0: a rabbi. There's no way he just picked you out of the, the box. You was had an Irish rabbi. rabbi. <laughs> That's right, he had
1: a rabbi. <laughs> well, I hate to say for back then, because of my crime scene experience, because of my, you know, we were a great job. You know, I, I'm sure it's still the same way, but we let our specialists do special things. Our crime scene people were the best, our, for, our ballistic people were the best. Uh, medical examiner's office, all this. So the the average detective, whether he was in a squad or or a homicide, really just had to take in the scene and not acquire a specific, you know, explosive or or something, you know, like that. And what ended up happening was, uh, you know, my whole career sort of built me up to be, I hate to say, to withstand what I was about to go into. I had no idea what I was going into. Course, nobody had ever
0: done this before, Morty. You know, I, I'm almost hearing the Star Spangled Banner playing in the back as you discuss your career. Let's, <laughs> I'm just busting your chops.
2: He's on fire. Today. <laughs> Listen, you,
0: you know, he's a stand up comic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. He's a stand-up comedy <laughs> but you, you know, you know, Morty, like if, if, like Phil didn't do the exact same thing you did, we would have like tears rolling down our face right now. But, 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 but wait, of- wait,
1: wait, a moment of silence for. My boy Jackie Mason, may he rest his soul. Jackie was—he was a he, funny guy. He loved, guy. He, oh, loved yeah. he, he loved detectives. He loved cops. So. He
0: was a funny guy, man, really funny guy. So yeah, uh, uh, Phil. Some of the people in the chat are saying, Phil, did you enjoy the cake you had for your birthday tonight?
2: I did, I did, and I neglected my daughter. Uh, my youngest daughter bought me a, a license plate, and it's got like a police logo on it. And it says, real heroes wear this, and it's got a picture of a badge. I was going to bring it in to, to put on camera. I left it in the kitchen. Oh, that,
0: that's pretty cool. That's yeah, pretty, it was very nice, cool.
2: very nice. And and a lot of cards. And I can't tell you about the phone calls I got today. I was running around. And then uh, the, the, the uh, podcast we did earlier today, and then this one. Just thank you so much, everybody, for the birthday wishes. I really feel loved. Thank you.
0: That's great. And folks in the chat, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please do so. Hit the subscribe button, uh, ring the bell, give us a thumbs up. Uh, this is a special show with uh retired first grade detective Mordecai Dejenski, who was a counterterrorism. I said that word so well. I almost <laughs> <don't> want to <laughs> you say name? when they
1: told my name tag, what's your name? I go, Smith, can't you tell her?
0: You know something part part of the job that we all love the um, the best is is cop humor. Because that's what got us through the most horrible yeah, situations yeah. on Earth. And cops are the best ball breakers on this Earth. And they have some of the greatest sense of humors. And that's what really got us through the some of the hardest times of any police department, I'm sure, in the world, especially after 9-11 and stuff. But uh, we we go through our lives with a sense of humor. And that gets us through. Right, Morty?
1: Uh, you know, just as a quick example, uh, I'll never forget the surreal scene. Uh, I had gone to a suicide bombing in Jerusalem. Uh, it was about 6, 7 o'clock at night, and I'm driving home. I, drew, I lived about close to an hour away, without traffic, maybe 45 minutes. And it's an empty highway. It's very eerily quiet. And I always say one of the toughest things of me having to deal with in Israel, I, I, I was a precinct of one, literally of one person. You know, I had friends here, but I, you know, an Israeli police department, but I was literally on my own. And I'll never forget uh, driving. And I called my old office from Hassell Homicide. And I'm just talking bullshit, meaning who's getting promoted, who's going out with who, who's doing this, who's doing that. And I said, do you realize where you just came from? And you all you really want is that small talk, you know, that, that end of the day, you know, sort of deflate. And that's what I miss the most, not having a partner not having somebody to work with uh, on a regular basis, not having somebody to bounce something off. And like we just said, not having somebody to laugh with, not somebody breaking your balls or you breaking it back. You know, so. uh, You know, Morty, I'll I'll be your friend, Morty. (laughs) (laughs) Where were you that night when I called and said, we're fucking busy, we're working, hang up.
0: (laughs) Morty, I want to get into the terrorism and how it's done in Israel But first, we're just going to go to a quick uh, two commercials, and uh, we'll be right back. And Phil, you got the first one here. Joe Murray, attorney at law, back in uh, Better
2: Than Ever. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York City area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702, 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com, joe at jmurray-law.com.
0: It's so wonderful to have Joe back. Um, Police Coffee is an officer-owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends, and they provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant, and our specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Our coffee is some of the best you'll find, but it also helps serve an important cause, giving back to our community. 50% of our profits goes towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To order coffee and related products from policecoffee.com, go to the website. There are over seven types of coffee to choose from. 50% of profits go to officers' families in need. For a 10% discount, use code OTC10. That's off-the-cuff 10. And again, the website is policecoffee.com. Morty, what we want to get to is like everyone knows that probably Israel has the greatest counterterrorism security in the world and out of necessity because they're surrounded by basically alligators all over the place. So what I think people that have watched this show are interested in is how do you train to spot
1: a suicide bomber? Well, <clears throat> I have to break down different elements. Uh, first of all, they've been doing this a really long time. you gotta, you got to keep in mind they've had this situation since – Started the state in 1948, meaning that they've been a constant, not necessarily war, but skirmishes and battles at least. So, this is an ongoing basis. Uh, so, they, 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 they're used to the swamp, as we say. Uh, they're experienced. Uh, the language, half of Israel, are Jews from Arab states. So, for them to speak and you know to understand, to uh, to be able to interrogate interview it's mother's tongue, so it's a much much easier thing they know the players the players really haven't changed you know this is an inherited business generally the grandfather was a terrorist the father's a terrorist and you know the next generation so there's a lot of you know where we had history or certain let's say drug gangs or whatever it is they have it but i would say what was the most amazing thing is the engaged population. Meaning that the average citizen, it could be because of military experience or basic survival instincts You gotta understand that your your bus driver, you know, an MTA bus driver, his his biggest concern is traffic in the battery tunnel or traffic on the bridge or having unruly passenger. For years, an Israeli bus driver went to work not knowing if his bus is gonna be blown to that that will be, I was at that scene January 29th, 2004. So, Maury,
0: what, what was showing on the screen is a, a bus that had a suicide bomber blow
1: up inside the bus, is that what we're seeing? That's exactly what we're seeing, you are seeing body parts, you're actually on the left-hand side, uh, there's flesh hanging from the side there, I mean, this was the average scene. I could say, as a crime scene, the suicide bombings. Were probably the worst that I've encountered.
2: It looks like a finger sticking out in the flesh on the left there, hanging over that uh, rail.
1: It's it, it, it was an unbelievable. Uh, uh, words can't literally describe it, and it's not. Is that the
2: suicide bomber's uh, body parts? Or, no, you don't know. the mm-hmm.
1: only thing really remaining, and we'll show you a little later. I sent you a picture of the suicide bomber's head when they went to an actual scene. The first identifying thing that it was in fact a suicide bomber, not a device, a remote control device. Or a time device is the fact that you always found the head intact. For whatever reason, if, wherever they place the device, whether it's in a backpack or you know around them on a chest or different places as a belt, uh, the head always remained. Now, so here's a case. I, I was saying before, mitigation is a big thing in Israel, meaning that instead of God forbid, thirty people being murdered, killed. Only, and I hate these words. Only three people, because something was done by a civilian, by private security. A private security guard back back in those days, two thousand three to two thousand seven, was getting paid ten bucks an hour, and he would basically take the hit. He would let the suicide bomber blow up on him, and probably not make it. So when you have a society that feels responsible for each other, and there is a tremendous sense of you know. They could be very, uh, very tough at certain stages, but when it comes to survival, taking care of each other, there, 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 there is a oneness that you know. I, I guess we feel it as New Yorkers, but I don't know if these days we necessarily feel it in the country as a whole, because there, there is a sense of responsibility. If I don't take care of you, my kid, my grandkid, somebody else is going to die as a result. So I would say number one was the engaged general public the intelligence which was years and years of gathering you know, people ask me why the suicide bombings basically stopped from when i got there 2002 to 2007 and the first thing was they built a fence a wall sound familiar that, sure <laughs> Iraq, that, that was number one number two was the military taking the fight to them you have a place called Afghanistan taking the fight to them on their on their grounds. And three was the different organizations, the Israeli police, the Shin Bet, which is our, their version of the FBI, and the military sort of going mid-level. So you have that combined with an engaged society, with a bus driver who's going to kick off somebody who he deems suspicious or close the door on, bus drivers who are armed, just different things like that that that's where it became unmanageable to manageable. You
0: know, go ahead, uh, Phil. I know you want to say something. Yeah, what well,
1: I, I was
2: going to say was
1: uh, my, um,
2: I had a couple of years post 9-11 that I did counterterrorism leads and stuff like that. And we went to some conferences and stuff and they would talk about the uh, the Israeli uh, law enforcement. Uh, they had tremendous skill in profiling uh Suicide bombers or people, or terrorists in general. And they they would always uh, talk about how uh, the airport, and I believe in Tel Aviv, how they never had a terrorist attack and a terrorist bombing. And they would train their guys, which we would call racial profiling today. But they did it there, and they were very, very
1: successful with it. Well, they, they actually have a course that I teach. It's called BPR, Behavioral Pattern Recognition. That's basically taking the whole sum of the person. And if you, this person seems suspicious for whatever reason, just based on how they're carrying, the location, a whole bunch of different things. If you have to cue everybody in the line, if you have to sort of speak to the person, I'll spend two minutes speaking to one person who's like we used to say in the job, a cream puff, or somebody who we have serious questions about. So it's it's, it's you you able to sort of explain your probable cause why I need to spend time on this person. Why I really need to go through their suitcase. Why I really need to do a certain thing. So based on just prior experiences, people here read the newspapers incestuously. I mean, they're constantly watching the news. And if they hear about a certain type, you know, we had, I had this one on May 18, 2003. I had a bus bombing in Jerusalem on a Sunday morning. That was the primary time of of bus bombings, and it was a suicide bomber dressed as a Hasidic Jew. Now, it just so happens on the bus was a kid from New Jersey that went to Israel, joined the military, was in the police, became a marksman. He's on the back of the bus. He sees somebody, I mean, the guy's all black, the round hat, the suit, everything, everything that a Hasidic Jew in the 9-0, you know, would be wearing and he realizes this guy's just not right. That's his BPR, that's his behavioral pattern recognition. That he doesn't fit that, he goes for his weapon, the suicide bomber sees it, explodes. Now, eight people die on that bus. But had the bus reached its potential amount of people, because it was an accordion bus, that could have carried up to 60, 70 people, there would have been 50 deaths, 50 DOAs. He saved- Did,
0: did, that, did that kid survive?
1: No. Nah, well ironically uh, his name is Steven Averbeck. he's from New Jersey people could google him uh he was paraplegic as a result a piece yeah. of shrapnel the frag was the main killer by the way the frag was the main killer and the most uh and, and the worst injuries involved uh he ended up dying like 10 years later from the what frag the dead initial fragment. but here's a guy who we don't even couldn't even imagine how many lives he saved if you use him as a, one example of how Israel survived that period, that's it. You know, that, You know, you know
0: Morty, I love that. What is it? Uh, body pattern recognition? Is that what it's called?
1: a pattern recognition, BPR.
0: I, I, I love that because, you know, we used to sort of use that in anti-crime. Because right, exactly. you'd, have, you'd, you'd have eight hours just to watch people and watch their body language, watch how they move, watch their waistband, watch their actions when someone passed them and they turned around and then followed that person. All of that came into play. I bet you I would be good at what you're talking about because I, I did that for six and a half years. You know,
1: I, I, I guarantee you, you would be. And the whole thing is here. Is I see that guy in Jerusalem on a Sunday morning. Dharma doesn't, but he just realized there was something wrong.
0: Right. Something definitely was out of place and. uh Now, up on the screen, this is a a suicide bombing of a market?
1: That's a restaurant that got hit twice. And the irony was, the first time they attempted, uh, the device malfunctioned on the outside. So the terror, the suicide bomber made it all the way on the inside. And he was trying to play with with the vest. And by the grace of God, it blew up on him and only him. You know, I used to love these these uh, geniuses, the suicide bombers, how every so often they'd be going to their to their target and want to make sure that the actual device works. So they play with the switch. You, and you, can't, you can't really test it. <laughs> you know, so, so he ended up, and they, you know, the same thing with our World Trade Center. They went back to, I was at this restaurant three months later where they had a successful attack where they killed about 13 people. So, but this is the carnage. Now, where the Israelis really became experts, when I say experts, you know, you have all these different uh, NGOs uh, other than cops and uh, maybe EMS that are at the scene. Everybody, nobody had to be told what to do. They became so experienced, which is actually, you know, I always compare them to our crime scene, you know, in the 80s. You know, you see these guys, every couple of hours at a different shooting. And these guys were, were so good and so great. Just cause the constant day-to-day running around doing exactly the same. Thing.
0: You know, Morty, that's what I was talking about on the show just uh, with Duty Run the other night. And uh, we were talking about the Gabby Petito case. And we were talking, there was like, oh, the FBI forensic uh, <laughs> team is so great. And I said, wait a minute. I think the greatest crime scene teams are the city ones, like New York City, Chicago because they get in practice every single night and they're going oh. to scenes every single night. So how are we saying the FBI who goes to one scene every six months, how are these better than our guys?
1: I have two words, Hal Sherman you tell me somebody better than Hal Sherman when, you, when you saw him come, you go.
0: <sighs> well, okay. I just think those three letters, FBI people think, Oh my God, FBI. Well, I, I will say right now, The
1: NYPD's crime scene unit is probably better than the FBI. Uh, Unequivocally. Because A, based on street cred, where the guys had gone, have been in uniform, understand the job. I'm not going directly into that as far as, you know, the forensic aspect. And B, is the practice. And they've been guided by guys like me and you telling them, listen... Please, you know, I'm a little concerned about this platter. I'm concerned about this. Let's just spend a few more moments. You know, it was like it was like being the head of an orchestra, you know, a symphony, and just watching these guys work. And uh, no, it, well,
0: you know, it, Mordecai, uh, Morty, I mean, um, it's like when you're in homicide or something. It's very important to always go to the scene to take a look at the crime scene. And Phil, I know I could see the the look of recognition on your face because you can't get the feel of what happened unless you visit that crime scene and take a look at what occurred in that crime scene. I would imagine the same thing is true with a bombing
1: scene. Well, Bill, I actually want to do this, and I'm going to do this. When I got to Israel, there was no job description of what I can and can't do. I knew I was going to get access, but they weren't going to hold my hand. Because anybody who had to be at the actual, there was a window of like 90 minutes that if I didn't get to the scene of the bombing, I was being useless by going there because all the forensic value, all the understanding, all the information would already have been gone because they were so good at, as we say, cleaning up. Uh, after my for, after in Israel, I, I landed on my 20th anniversary, January 3rd, 2003, to officially take my post. On well, January 5th was a Sunday morning. I got caught in traffic, and I got beeped that there was a suicide bombing, and I'm stuck in the middle of traffic, and I said, I could be right now in Long Beach, Long Island, on a Sunday morning having a bagel. Why do I have to be stuck here on a highway in Tel Aviv? I'm a, to you, and it was a double suicide bombing. That's when I said I have to go t- to the scene. And they said, "We'll give you, we'll give you booties to go actually into the bomb squad scene, where only bomb techs and maybe EMS and certain other people are allowed. But you have to get there on your own." And I took that as a challenge. And I said, if I don't do that, I'm not going to do it. I can't get a report two days later. I can't get a report that the same FBI could get because they weren't seeing it through a New York City detective's eyes. So I decided then that, you know, I made it to 21 of them, that it was a worthwhile endeavor, you know, racing and
2: traffic. You you might pick up something from, Like Bill made a great point. When you go to the scene of a bombing or shooting or homicide, whatever it is, you might pick up on something that uh, is a little different at this one, but then you see it at the next one. And that's very, very important. I mean, observation of the scene obviously is very important. Going back to the FBI real quick, uh, I agree with you, Bill. Probably uh, their uh, crime scene people might be okay, but they don't have the experience from the amount of cases that a, a NYPD crime scene unit would have or any other big city. But they do have a tremendous lab. I have, they have that lab in Quantico, Virginia, that's probably one of the best maybe in, in the whole world. But, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, we got good at what we did because of doing it over and over and over again. It's it's just the experience of it, you know? And, you know, there's so much you can learn in a classroom. You get ideas. But when you get to the scene, you start to pick up, all right, everything is different. Everyone is different. It's always different in even just a little way. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And who you're talking to is always different. It's never the same people at the crime scene, too. So those are the things that... It be I don't know. I feel like it became second nature to me. It was like an instinct at this point. Once you did it a few times and more and more and you did some high profile cases, you realize that, you know, I think you were pointing it out, Morty. When I got to the scene, like when I was in a 6-0 squad and there was a heavy case or any case, go there a lot of times we'd have housing guys with us. Everybody, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, and we took care of what we had to take care of. Canvases, uh, notifying crime scene, get the ma, uh, interview those witnesses. We're taking these ones back. We're going to interview the first officer. Everybody had their place. Now, then, when I went to a slower precinct, I got to say, and the first homicide that I was on in a slower precinct, it wasn't uh, it wasn't clicking like that. It yeah. was like you know, guys in in your own team were, you know, weren't standing by. They were, you know, you, you had to get them. Come here, go do this, go do that, you know? You, so- know?
0: you know, Phil, I was known to yell at people that outranked me, which probably wasn't very smart, but I would do it when I saw incompetence on the street, like a, a homicide crime scene and patrol doesn't have crime scene tape. To me that, you know, I would go ballistic at that. You fucking you know. kidding? I could just hear you. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I would say. And, and I would be like, oh, you have bars on your shoulder? Well, get some of these motherfuckers to get the tape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, we're, no. we're,
2: just try, we're just trying to execute to do the right thing, and you know, it, it's nothing against. Oh, that was very nice. Happy birthday! Who know
0: who? Morty, you're a hero. Thank you for the ten dollars super chat. Morty, you're a hero. Also, happy birthday, Phil. Someone else in the chat suggested that Morty should have his own TV show. Let's not get crazy. Phil, yeah, <laughs> Throw <laughs> an iron line for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there may be a podcast in your future, Morty. That's, that's right, Morty. Morty yes, you I, something? Got,
2: I, I got to ask you this. God, God, You had something to say? I'm sorry. No. that's no,
1: actually important. As a detective, people who knew me say I wasn't always the – I became the lead runner here because I had to, but I was always a good second. So if you need somebody standing by, I'm always. I'm a good wingman, as they say. Okay. You know, you that's has my specialty in life.
0: One of the pictures you sent me is, like, amazing because people are going to see this
1: as a no way. Tell us who this is. Uh, her first name is Hanra. Her last name is Jadat. Uh, September 2003, it's a Saturday morning. This beautiful maiden, look at the uh, soft skin, decided uh, she's 29, divorced. Which was part of the elements that made her a little bit different than the average, let's say, Palestinian who lives, you know, in big cities of like Jenin, Ramallah. She was an attorney, so she was well educated. Decided that uh, she was going to be a suicide bomber. Now, again, one of the one of the main issues with her becoming a suicide bomber. They say, from psychologically, the fact that she was divorced, she was already not capable of getting remarried or having kids. There's a whole bunch of, I have my whole profile, nothing that the psychologists say, let's say profile, whether it's wanting to be a rock star, money, whatever might be the case. But this woman decided she was going to be a suicide bomber and her target, she got a cab. She didn't have a handle on him. She just had a cab driver. She was going to go to a hospital in Haifa, which is a beautiful Mediterranean coast city. She tries getting into the hospital and sees the security there it was excellent. Private security, hospitals, hotels back in the day were top notch. So she says, take me to a restaurant on the Mediterranean. Take her to a restaurant, ironically owned by an Israeli Arab and Israeli Jew, the the, the, the the bastion of Israel being a wonderful country for both Arabs and Jews. She goes into the restaurant. She invites a cab driver in. They sit down in the middle of the restaurant uh, and eats the meal, pays for the meal, comes back to the table, sends the cab driver out, and this is her post picture right here. That is the head of the suicide bomber that I had all the discipline self-control not to treat that as a soccer ball that day. I tell that to people over and over. That's all I wanted to do. That's what was left of her and a few other uh, limbs. But that's her head post-blast. Uh, this was a situation, and 20 some odd people died, I think four generations of one family, grandfather, father, grandson, all were killed. It was a high cash for the count. The place was un- unbelievable shambles. I got there about an hour after it happened. There was frag on the outside, Initially, they thought they did a different tactic of shooting their way into the restaurant and then committing the suicide bomb. Now she walked in. Now I'm doing the walkthrough of the scene, and I see that somebody, a police officer, guarding something. And I go, "What is that?" It turns out it's the wand that they used to use for everybody coming into restaurants, malls, hotels, you know, to check for frack, check for metal, metal detector. It turned out their security guard wore two hats he was both a bus boy and a security guard he obviously was better at the busing than he was as a security guard so she went in that it was a complete failure if you want to call it that now new york city at that point i'm on the phone to the commissioner's office and i'm saying listen this is what happened you're getting reports that there was a shooting prior now this person just went in completely un unblocked on anything sat down and ate and then did this horrific act. And this you was, think this maybe
2: was, the kid didn't want her?
1: They, there was nobody at the door. Okay. There was nobody at the door. He was. Yeah. He had two jobs. He was both a busboy and a security guard.
2: Could you imagine the hatred? Now look at that woman. Could you imagine the hatred that must run through a person's mind and body to do such a dastardly thing? I, I just—it's so hard to fathom. You know, it's just ridiculous.
1: Well, I, to me, that—that that is such a telling point. Of uh, You know, if you want to even bring in BPR, if you want to bring in certain things, I mean, there's a whole bunch of elements that, 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 that are takeaways from this.
0: But- you know, Morty, I just want to comment on the profiling of someone like her. Here she is, 29 years old. She's divorced. She's a, got a law degree. Pretty much, I mean, she has everything to live for, yet somehow the hatred grabs a hold of her, and she thinks it's more important to become a suicide bomber and kill as many Jews as she can than to live her
1: life. Well, interesting enough, this is again, you have to remember this is an Israeli Arab owned restaurant and Israeli Jews. So she saw, I guarantee, a lot of people dressed just like her. And they'll kill one Jew and kill 20 of what they consider to be their cousins. And I think twice about it. But you know, the the what the traditional psychologist says is the profile, that's complete, you know, low self-esteem. Bullshit. It's all about perceived revenge. You no, know, I have a whole list of things that I do when I do training that these are the things that I bring up. And to me, the biggest thing, you know, is wanting to be a rock star. Like, I, I I always show two videos. The first video is a song, I want to be a rock star. You know, I forgot the name of the group, you know, in Grand Central Station, when our version of a rock star is truly a rock star. And their version of, you know, kids in Gaza dressing up you know, five or six-year-olds with suicide belts during a parade. So, you know, we have a different version. You know, I I personally rather be the rocker in Grand Central than being the suicide bomber five years old in Gaza.
0: Morty, Um, I want to get to this last picture. We have about like seven minutes left, and then we hit the hour. So let's get to this last picture.
1: Okay. I was saying about uh, this was in Netanya, another coastal city. This is a mall that got hit three times three separate times, and you will say why. There were two reasons why. First is proximity, it is, even though it's Israel proper, to a hotbed of terrorism not too far away of a city in Judea Samaria where many of the terrorists came from. So they, they could literally walk across the border without the fence being there. This was prior to the fence. Walk across and get into this city this, I've, I went to two out of three of the suicide attacks. In each attack, the security guard died. And again, I apologize. I apologize. Only five people died. Only four people died. The reason why, had this suicide bomber got into that mall, the numbers would have been 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And there's a video of the security guard basically saying to sort of run out after the explosion because there were a whole team of security guards there. He died, he he basically took the bullet, he took the bomb, he took the frag, but you see women running out with strollers. Now, there was a heavy police presence, so there was obviously some intel warning, but people there go on, they do their shopping. And this mall. this happened at about 11 in the morning, by seven o'clock it's back up running business. And again, it's psychological. That's how they survive. And that's why they're thriving. Again, they've, you know, at least through this cop size, showed how to go through those tough periods. And you're going to make it out. And then you're going to enjoy life. Because, you know, you you can't, we we, collectively, and I speak now as a New Yorker, we cannot live in fear. You know, that's no way.
0: You know, uh, I just want to mention some of the Phil Grimaldi, Angela Eng and Joe Murray gave you a 99 99 birthday gift in the in the chat so Phil you can buy a lot of uh what do you buy uh these, uh prosciutto <laughs> pros- fresh I, pros- I, think, uh, I pros- think you want a right
1: now $440 40
0: dollars a pound parmesan cheese you got a lot of that but uh happy birthday Phil and Thanks so nice. much.
2: That was so nice of them. I, I I I love I love you guys. That's all I could say. I'm having one of the best birthdays. God bless. Thank you so much.
0: That's so great. You know, Morty, uh we we want to keep this around an hour because uh, but I wanna I wanna invite you back at a future date. You're really you're a, a super interesting guest. And uh, Thank you. uh I mean and if I, you come I, to New York, come come Phil and I will take you to Spumoni
1: Gardens. I mean, right? excuse and, me, and uh what do, you, what do you mean if when? No, 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 you no, no, no. I, <laughs> Guess who's Guess who's coming for dinner, it's
2: Morty. <laughs> Morty? do you know Ellen B. Gardens? You're familiar, oh. to pe- okay? So those are my relatives. So I, I, we'll go there sometime for sure. Ah,
1: okay. Yeah. I would love that. that and, would, and by that the way, be- r- right now I'm hypocritically kosher. What happens in Brooklyn? Stays, Stay, in stays in Brooklyn. <laughs> That's right. You,
2: you'd be surprised how many kosher customers are there. They, they they'll because the pizza they don't really they don't mix any meat. Their pizza is plain. They don't put any toppings on. No, it. I know. I, on I, I special think. request they will. But uh, and then the the ices they like the ices because oh. there's no milk in the ices. So you, you know you know, the, you know, it,
0: sir, you know Morty for? real quick because we got about two minutes and then we're gonna do our our, our goodbye. How, are you fearful based on What's going on in the world right now that the United States could get hit again based on getting out of Afghanistan and based on the, the porous borders? Do you worry that something could happen?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think uh, the level of, of awareness has to be raised tremendously. And I think, listen, they're like sharks. They smell the blood. They smell the – it's not like, oh, my God, we'll placate them, and then they'll they'll, – you know, kumbaya. Kumbaya does not exist in that world. No, When they smell fear, when they know that they can take advantage and do whatever they need to do, this is is what they do for a living. This is their oxygen, the threat and the actual act.
0: You know, Morty, I find the more and more as I get older, and look, I always have those cop instincts, but I think there's people in this world – that deny that there's evil. They want to believe that there's not evil. And we've seen
1: evil. And I'd love them to see my eyes and, and uh, tell me what evil is and what evil isn't. Like you said, all of us here, through our eyes, if they could just play that film and just take certain spots, you would know there's evil. One hundred That's why we're here, to spread the word and to give you know, other people strength.
2: Morty, I tell people about my career that I actually, I've been in the interview room with the devil 100%. And I'm not going to go into a big, long story now. Not not on one occasion, several occasions, serial killers. And when you looked into the eyes of these people and you saw how they spoke about killing people without any reservation at all, I knew I was talking to the devil and and, and everybody involved felt the same way too. So we, we actually, we we've sat with the devil.
0: There's no question. You know, folks, a few folks that came and listened tonight, we're really happy that you came here. I know everyone wanted to hear the uh, Gabby Petito case, and we've been covering that all week, and we'll go back to covering it again soon because there's always new breaking stuff on that. But I had invited Morty a couple of, uh, maybe about a month ago, and I think he's an amazing guest, and I want to give him an open invitation to come back at another time. Uh, And, you know, we see... That, you know, there is evil in this world and terrorism exists. And, you know, we need to stay vigilant. And we kept saying it in the Gabby Petito case. If you see something, say something. And someone did. And that's one of the reasons they recovered Gabby's body, because someone did see something and did say something. Uh, I just, you know, Morty, I just I I wish I could uh, go have a drink with you right now. But I know you're in Israel. What are they drinking in Israel these days? Uh, Manashevitz, Manashevitz cream white concord. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and, and Jerry goes to buy the last babka in the bakery. You know, he, he's very big, he'll push anybody out of the way. I want that last babka, you know. That's right. it.
2: Phil, uh, final, uh, final words, Phil. Final words, uh, Morty. I just want to say it was such an honor and pleasure to meet you. You're a true American hero. Um, I know that there must be some PTSD floating around in your head after seeing all those horrible things as we all anybody who was active in the PD or did things like you did. uh, I just hope you're, you're okay with all of that. Um, real quick on the, uh, Gabby Petito case, condolences to the family. I can't even imagine what they're going through. There was a couple of other developments in the last few hours, but we'll get to it on our next episode. And, uh, the birthday wishes, I got to say one of the best birthdays I've ever had the the people, the outpouring on the, on the chat, Joe Murray and and Angela Ang. Thank you so much. Love you guys. And, uh, thanks so much.
1: What's that? I said, happy birthday again, Bill. It was an absolute pleasure. Well, I would just like
0: to say from the police off-the-cuff Real Crime Stories family and from Bill Cannon and Phil Grimaldi, l'chaim. How did I say that? Did I I use the proper? (laughs) 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 You gave the proper enunciation. I did, (laughs) all right. I'm I'm learning more Hebrew and more Italian from being around. In in
1: New York, you kind of (laughs) once in a while. (laughs)
0: That's right. So, everyone, thank you, everyone, for listening, and good night, everyone.
1: Good night. Take care. Good night, Morty.